Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Roos. Uh, it's great to be back with you. Um, took a bit of a hiatus over the summer. I had an internship in Houston at an investment bank called Tudor Pickering Holt & Co., TPH for short. Um, had a great summer, uh, learned a lot. I'm actually going back there next summer, so really excited about that. Um, but excited to be back here with you all on the show. So getting into it, um, looking at WTI today, it's at $83 per barrel. And this has actually been quite a come down over the past few months. Um, we saw it almost at the summer. It was over $100 a barrel, sometimes hovering around $90 a barrel, really all in that range. And since Ukraine uh, was invaded by Russia, um, it's been a very interesting time uh, looking at energy markets. It was a really interesting time being uh, in my internship this past summer um, and seeing all the developments that are that were underway over in Ukraine um, and how that was affect- affecting um, what was going on in the industry. So very interesting stuff there. Um, natural gas, uh, and I'll actually be talking about natural gas a lot today, um, but I'll get I'll get into that shortly. It's currently trading at seven dollars and eighty two cents, um, very high. I remember when natural gas was around $2, not that distant ago. Um, so very, very high prices there. Um, that's a product of a lot of things, and we're going to get into that a little bit more uh, later in the show. So the rig count, uh, the U.S. rig count represents uh, how many rigs are active in the U.S., and and uh, that is currently sitting at 760 as of September 2nd, um, down five from the week before but up 263 rigs compared to last year in the U.S., so September of 2021. Um, quite a big increase, but to be expected with oil prices and energy prices overall just increasing. Um, nothing too surprising there. But the first article that I want to get into today is from oilprice.com, and it's titled, Large Crude Build Since Oil Prices Tumbling. Um, so... Off the bat, this article, that title kind of tells me um, there was a crude build in the U.S. Uh, so the EIA actually reported an 8.8 million barrel build as of September 2nd, um, compared to a draw of 3.3 million barrels compared to the prior week, uh, which is sort of mixed signals, um, which I think is very uh, thematic for what's going on within the energy industry. They have all kinds of signals from all over the place, whether it be, like I just talked about, rig counts or or, or storage capacity or what's OPEC uh, doing, how many barrels per day is OPEC producing, are they sticking to their criteria and their quotas, their production quotas, what's the dynamic with Russia and Saudi Arabia with OPEC Plus, which is really interesting and in how that's all shaping up you have. Iran um, and the U.S. in uh, nuclear deal talks. Um, there's talk of if, for those that don't know, because uh, after the Trump administration pulled out of the nuclear deal, um, we reimposed sanctions on Iranian oil, um, which basically is just taking it off of the market. I'm sure they're still selling it. I'm even I've even heard examples of um, lots of Russian crude either being mixed with other blends of crude or um, being sold at discounts to people or countries like China and India and, and countries kind of all over the world. 
Um, some countries are even still buying Russian crude, even though they publicly claim that they um, are trying to get away from it. A lot of that isn't necessarily hypocrisy, in my opinion. Um, I think it's more so either necessity or they have some sort of contract and either they have to take delivery of something that they need, which is to fuel their economy and fuel their country, or to either take a loss or be sued by some company in Russia. So a little bit of a tangent there, um, but I think that tangent is pretty representative of of the confusion around this article that we're talking about here. So you have a build one week and then a draw the week before. Um, sort of sending mixed signals, but WTI has come down um, quite a bit to $83 per barrel over the past couple of weeks. Um, and you throw on the the theme with inflation, which inflation has been very topical over the past really six months, maybe a little bit more. Um, and everybody was talking about how high energy prices were contributing to inflation, which I think is really interesting because now that oil prices have come down, um, natural gas prices are obviously still pretty high. But now that oil prices have come down, there's still inflation. Almost every central bank in the world is trying to do something um, to stem inflation. And even this morning I read um, that the ECB was planning on or is planning on increasing rates by 0.75 percentage points, which is quite a bit. Um, I think the Fed is sticking to the same uh, to, to doing that kind of rate increase to help stem inflation. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure on that, so don't quote me on that. Um, but anyway, so now that oil prices are coming down, I'm wondering how much is the commentary surrounding inflation going to be solely focused on um, energy prices, which is sort of it's been the it's been the easy blame to throw on energy prices because there's you know there's a lot of uh, people that are anti oil and gas, which is very unfortunate um, because the the industry does so much to fuel the world and to make everyday life possible. So very unfortunate there. But with that being said, um, and with that fact, at least in my opinion. Um, the blame for energy prices was pretty easy um, to throw. But now I'm, I'm curious what it'll be, what, what will happen next. Will it be consumer prices that end up being inflated, um, which already they already are, but maybe that could be contributed to it. Um, you could talk about taxes. You could talk about all kinds of things, which I won't go all the way there. But one thing that I do want to bring up, it's not an article, but um, it is the, a lot of, Conversations have been had in the news and all over the world about oil price caps for uh, Russian oil, particularly the uh, the EU and the US um, have talked about these and they've tried to build coalitions and they think I believe that they have um, built coalitions amongst other countries to get some sort of oil price cap in place. So just going to just disclaimer that I'm not an expert on oil price caps. I don't know everything that's up to date on oil price caps. But what I do know is that it won't work if everybody isn't on the same page. Basically saying that it won't work unless every country except Russia or every big country except Russia agreed to it. Um, which is obviously, you know, getting the entire world to agree on something is something that's absolutely never going to happen. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm pessimistic on oil price caps. 
Um, oh, and let me just explain it for those that might not understand what oil price caps do. Basically, it's just trying to lower the price of oil, which either you can call it fighting inflation, you can call it um, not trying to support Russia's war machine or whatever it might be. Um, but the whole goal of those is to decrease the price of Russian oil. So basically, the country, a lot of Russia's, uh, basically, I'm pretty confident almost all of Russia's oil companies, um, with the exception of maybe a handful, are state-run, meaning that whenever the company company makes money, unlike the U.S., where uh, publicly traded, you know, Exxon, Chevron, make money, they either reinvest it in their business or they return it to the shareholders, which would be you and I. Um, or obviously, you know, large, large institutional holders of that as well. Um, but the state-owned company, obviously, they reinvest in their, into their own business, but they also will give money or a dividend back to the government, which is Russia. So Gazprom, G-A-Z-P-R-O-M, Gazprom, kind of hard to say. Um, but that's a great example of a uh, Russian state-owned pure, you know, energy company um, that would be affected by the oil price caps, which they clearly haven't had that much of an issue making enough money to fund their to fund their government and their war efforts. Um, Russia hasn't because India and China particularly are jumping at the bits to buy Russian oil because they could buy it for cheaper prices than they can U.S. grade oil or, or, or even... Um, or even Saudi oil, um, they could buy at, at discount. So anyways, quite a bit of a tangent there. But next article that I wanted to get into um, is from the Wall Street Journal. Um, it's a little older of an article, September 5th, which I'm recording this on September 9th. Um, so only four days ago, but if you have followed the show at all or you follow the news at all, you know that four days ago news is very, very, very old news, especially in the oil and gas industry and market, and especially with how these past few months have been. Um, but regardless, I think that the, the underlying message of this article uh, is still important, something that I really wanted to share. So the subtitle or the title for this article is European Gas Prices Surge on Nord Stream Shutdown. Um, the subtitle is Natural Gas Futures in Northwest Europe Jump More Than 30% in Early Trading but Remain but remain below the all-time high recorded in late August. Bit of a mouthful there. But the article basically is talking about the Nord Stream pipeline, which is uh, a pipeline that's connected from Russia that runs under the Baltic Sea to Germany. Um, there is, I'm not going to get into all the controversy surrounding this pipeline and other pipelines like it. Um, but it's one of the main, what you do need to know is that it's one of the main pipelines connecting from Russia to Europe that is generally considered the lifeblood or the fuel source, no pun intended, of European energy security. Um, and I don't know when this change started to happen, um, but for some reason, um, it, it could be geopolitical, political, financial, whatever reasons, it might be Germany and other countries in, in the European Union decided that they wanted to trust Russia um, and build all these pipelines to get cheaper fuel sources to fund to fuel their continent um, and to fuel their their countries. Um, Europe Europe in general doesn't have as much, not nearly as much energy energy security as a country like the U.S. Um, 
So something to kind of keep in mind there. I'm not blaming any European country or saying that they did something wrong. I mean, when you're looking at the when I was if I was, you know, the chancellor of Germany and I was back, you know, however many 10, 15 years ago, whenever I was looking at what my options were, I can either build a pipeline um, connecting to Russia or which will and pipeline is the, the cheapest and safest way to transport hydrocarbons. Um, so no blame to be cast there, but now obviously the world is much, much, much different compared to where it was 10 to 15 years ago. Um, obviously with the, with the war going on in, in the Ukraine. So this pipeline specifically, um, has been sort of a war tool you could say for Russia. Um, obviously countries and people need natural gas to, fuel their homes to, you know, generate electricity to fuel their commercial, residential, industrial uh, facilities and and efforts, you could say. Um, So regardless, natural gas is very, very, very important to make sure you have a steady fuel source from. Well, if you're, uh, let's say Germany, for example, um, and this pipeline's coming directly to you and all of a sudden, the pipeline capacity is being lowered and lowered and lowered, meaning that you're receiving less and less natural gas week over week. Um, that's a bit of a concern. Um, and this was started to become a concern, I'd say maybe back in April. Obviously, whenever the, the invasion happened, that was, it was talked about, but it really started to come into full force over the summer, especially early summer, May, June timeframe. But over the past few weeks, this pipeline, specifically the Nord Stream pipeline, has had capacity reduced by Gazprom, the Russian state-owned oil and gas company, maybe other companies, and, and, and the government itself maybe uh, reduced the capacity to around 20% in the past few weeks, which obviously a big concern there. Um, uh, there was a lot of efforts by European countries to fuel to secure other fuel sources, um, whether it be with the U.S., um, the Middle East, really everywhere except Russia. <laughs> you could think of it like that. Um, so they made good efforts and good strides to do that, but now, um, the pipeline is officially shut in, um, or they've shut down the flows. I'm not saying it's exactly zero. It might be a little bit, I'm not quite sure what that looks like, uh, but they've officially shut it down, which is obviously, obviously a big concern. Um, and it's kind of funny that over the past few months, there's been different reasons for why the capacity was going down. Sometimes the Russia would say that it was for mechanical problems or maintenance problems or, or check it, checkups or reviews or whatever, whatever they want to say. But I mean, I'm not claiming I know something that other people don't, but I do, I didn't buy any of those reasons at all. And I don't think that you should either. Um, it makes a lot of sense of why Russia would use that as a, as a weapon, as a, as a weapon of war, the pipeline, um, which is really an interesting thought to that a lot of wars, I imagine going forward, uh, hopefully there's none. Um, of course we can all hope that, but being realistic, probably not going to happen. Um, a lot of these wars are going to be economical warfares now that a lot of countries are. Are pretty advanced. You have other countries like India making really good strides. Their GDP is growing. They're maybe not right now, but generally the GDP is growing. It's a growing country, huge country, um, and I think that over time wars will be more fought more so on the economic front as opposed to boots on the ground. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But 
it's very, it's very interesting how this whole dynamic has developed. And because of this, because of these lowering of flows of this pipeline, not just this pipeline, but other pipelines in general, or Russia redirecting its sales of their oil and natural gas from Europe to China uh, or India. And this makes a lot of sense um, for Russia, obviously very unfortunate for Europe uh, and the rest of the world trying to reduce uh, the money that Russia makes off of their um, fuels. So I want to touch on another quote from this article. Um, the quote goes, Last week, European Energy Exchange AG, the main European venue for power trading outside the Nordics, said Germany and other European Union members should help companies fund margin payments. Um, this is very interesting, kind of caught my eye. Wasn't, I'm not entirely well-versed on how power trading markets work, uh, but I know that it does have a lot to do with buying power off of an exchange, buying futures, selling futures, um, and I don't want to get into what all those, what all that means, but there's a lot that happens is what you need to know. There's a lot that happens in the background in order to make sure that you have electricity. Um, and we saw this, uh, happen in Texas with the great freeze. Um, the energy or the, the power market and the power trading market is very complex, um, very frail and fragile and very, um, Dis, uh, dis deconsolidated, I guess you could say. Uh, very fragmented, that's the word I was looking for. Very fragmented market. Um, and I believe that that holds true for most of the world. There's actually a really good book called Shorting the Grid um, by, let's see, something, something Angwin. Um, I actually heard about her book on the COB Tuesday podcast. Very good podcast if you ever wanted to uh, check it out. Uh, they interview interview guests weekly, lots of great content. Anyways, um, but the power, power trading, power supply system is very is a very fragile one. And, and during peak time, peak demand times, during that great freeze that we had, we saw blackouts occur all across Texas. Uh, obviously very tragic, very unfortunate because some people actually died due to that, which reestablishes um, how vital energy is to uh, our daily lives. But anyways, um, a lot of, or some utilities were suffering big losses. I know that some of them may have went bankrupt. I saw some, some company lost, I think it was over a billion dollars. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was over a billion dollars, which is obviously a lot of money. Um, and also customers are being charged very high prices for electricity. So kind of think about that example and think about that. That's exactly what's happening in Europe right now. There's not rolling blackouts all over, the EU right now, but certainly something that could come to fruition pretty soon. And from this article, I saw that um, Sweden and Finland Finland offered billions of dollars of guarantees, up to $23 billion actually, to utilities to prevent a breakdown in the utility power market. And for a country and a government to offer up to, up to $23 billion, I know, I guess, in government, government, dollars or government amounts it's not that much money but i mean sweden sweden and finland aren't that giant massive of countries i'm not sure what their gdp is or where they rank um but they're probably not in the top five i would say 
Um, so them to offer up that kind of money really reinforces how important this is um, and how important the power, uh, the, the power trading companies and the utilities are, how, how important it is that they don't go bankrupt, basically. How important it is that they keep on going, you know, day-to-day business, just providing power to customers and receiving money for, for that. Um, and so much so that this past Sunday, Germany unveiled its third energy relief package, which was shocking to me because I did not know there was even a first or a second. Um, but this is their third energy security package that costs that's going to cost around 65 billion pounds, which not sure what the exchange rate is at the moment. The dollar is pretty strong at the moment, um, but it's probably 70, 70 to 72 billion dollars, maybe a little bit more. Um, maybe $75 billion. But anyways, they're offering up that much money for their energy um, industry to make sure, and utilities specifically, to make sure that they don't go bankrupt and that they can still buy money, or buy, not buy money, buy natural gas and and provide that power no matter what happens. So all in all, a very interesting time, a very interesting um, spot to be in. Uh, the energy market is incredibly, it's always been interesting, but it's been so interesting. And I've been dying to, I've been dying to get back on the show and to talk about a little bit of it. Um, this is my first show back, so I apologize that some of it was a little bit uh, all over the place. Um, but it's going to be very interesting. I touched on a lot of things, very high level um, whether it be the Iran deal, either I didn't even talk about Biden going to Saudi Arabia, which I can talk, I can touch on a little bit, real quick. Um, not going to get political with this trip. Um, I'm just going to state some facts. Um, so during the uh, Biden campaign, there was a lot of talk of of him coming down hard on Saudi Arabia after what happened tragically with, I believe it was a, it's the newspaper that, uh, the Washington Post, I believe, is a Washington Post reporter, Jamal something, Khashoggi, um, but he was actually tragically murdered by, um, not going to say who, but somebody, uh, you know, in the Middle East, Uh, a lot of people thought it was Saudi Arabia, I wasn't really sure, I believe it happened in Turkey, but anyways, um, Biden said that he's going to come down hard on Mohammed bin Salman, which is the crown prince over in in Saudi Arabia. Um, but the world was very different whenever he was campa- campaigning. Um, that was a time when COVID was still it was still talked about very much. It was still very much an issue. Um, there was kind of a lot of uncertainty, so very much an issue at that point in time. But not energy security wasn't really uh, in vogue, and it's become much more, much more um, in focus lately with everything that I just talked about. Um, so fast forward to the to the present day, he went on this trip over the summer. I believe it was in July, uh, maybe towards the end of July, and he went over there, and there was all kinds of talk that he was going to going to get more get more oil to be produced out of Saudi Arabia and OPEC overall that can help bring down oil prices, lower inflation, and also obviously as a president you have to think politically their elections are coming up in November 
pretty soon. So scoring a win ahead of that is obviously a very positive, very good thing for your party. Any president would do that. Um, it wouldn't be a smart decision for a president, at least not to try. So at least he tried. Um, but there wasn't there was much confusion on what actually happened at this meeting. Um, the on the U.S. side, pe- the government was saying that great meeting. They're going to produce a lot more oil. Um, on the Saudi Arabia side, there was a little bit more confusion. Not not a lot was actually discussed, or not a lot was actually agreed upon on what would occur after this meeting. Um, and nothing really came out of that meeting. I believe OPEC raised production um, for at least a month by another 100,000 barrels per day, but whenever consumption is probably around 100 million barrels per day across the world, maybe a little bit less, maybe 90, 97. Um, that's sort of, or that's not sort of, that's absolutely a drop in the bucket. Um, so anyways, don't blame him for trying. I think it was definitely worth a shot. Um, I didn't really expect anything positive to come out of that meeting. Um, I, I hoped that there would have been, um, but it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, how that plays out going forward, or if there's anything else to play out going forward. That was my last tangent. I promise. Uh, thank you for listening today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to talking to you next week.